welcome. This is the Church Times podcast. I'm Sarah Merrick and I'm here today with Joe Swinney, one of the authors of the book A Place at the Table, Faith, Hope and Hospitality, published by Hodder Faith. Joe, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for being with us. It's lovely to meet you. Now, I think what I need to do is start with a painful but really important point. Um, you're one of the authors of this lovely new book. Can you tell us about the other author, please? Yes, it would be my pleasure. The other author is Miranda Harris, and Miranda Harris was my mum. And um, this book is published posthumously because she died very suddenly in October 2019. And the book has um, come out of writings that we discovered after, after she died. And I know your whole family is grieving, and I just want to ask, how are you today? Thank you. Today is not a bad day um, in terms of grief. And um, yeah, as, as we all know, it's a um, very different day to day. Sure. Tell us something, if you would, about Miranda. I mean, your, um, it comes very clearly through the book, um, something of her personality. But for anyone who hasn't read it yet, tell us a little bit about what she was like, about her story. Yes, yeah, so the key things um, in details about her life, she was born and brought up in um, England and Wales and very much loved Pembrokeshire in particular. And she went to Homerton um, in Cambridge to train as a teacher and she came to faith there through um, my dad's girlfriend at the time. Then towards the end of her time there, um, she and my dad got engaged without dating. Right. <laughs> and two years later got married and then together they founded a Christian conservation charity, Arosha, which in 1983 was a very strange idea and we began off in Portugal for the first 12 years. Um, my dad's a very, very passionate birder and the thing that mum really gave to the endeavour was her gift with people and specifically hospitality but also she just had a way of making people feel immediately at home with her um, anyone on a train or in a shop or she just went straight into their heart and um, she had a warmth about her and a vivaciousness that was really attractive so Arosha has ended up being an organization with a real heart for community and that takes food seriously and takes people seriously and all of our work in nature conservation is very much done in that context. And I understand from the book that she'd always talked about writing a book about hospitality, but had never quite got round to it. Um, but tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so she she wrote a huge amount, mostly letters. She was one of the world's great letter writers. She was always looking for a postbox. And um, in the latter years, they did a lot of travelling. My parents is they were setting up different Arusha organisations around the world and things like that. And people said to her a lot because of these letters that she had a gift for writing and she really did. And whether it was time, she said it was time, I think she just lacked maybe the confidence to to push herself out there. It's it is she saw me go through the process and it's 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 um you have to be you have to grow thick skin sometimes and I just don't think she had the stomach for it um, but she did talk a lot about it and she'd say oh I'm having a morning on the book um, things like this where I've made progress with the book 
but this, you know, those comments happened over so many years um, that I stopped holding my breath. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think she would do it. And when dad was in intensive care following the car accident that mum lost her life in, he said, um, you've got to get her words published. And that was a challenge for Gosh. me. And um, so that was when I started trying to think, how was I going to do it? So the seed was sown even then when he was still very, very ill. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And and I understand that you then found great files of material. That how how did that feel? Oh, it was. I mean, it was. It was quite overwhelming. Mm. I felt awful that I doubted her. Um, the folder was there was a whole folder called the book, <laughs> and um, but it was all handwritten and tiny notes and then all the additional content was squirreled away and filed very neatly and but um took some work to kind of organize and transcribe and and piece together coherently so it was in one place mainly i was wondering how much you had to go to friends and family and say can you find that letter that she wrote or was it it was sort of reasonably gathered was it yeah so I, th- I think maybe because um the portuguese postal system back in the day was quite unreliable so Quite often she would photocopy and file oh. away her own letters and she'd done um she had a small group of people who really faithfully prayed and so all of the letters to those people were there and we had family Christmas newsletters and things like that and they were all filed in order and she was a great journaler as well. So we had masses of her journals which dad went through actually for me because he was guarding her privacy very fiercely. So he'd give me extracts that were fit for you know public consumption um and then people did send in stuff but it it was almost like a an overload of Mm, material mm. to work with after a while and i suppose this is a difficult question but what what did you what did you leave out obviously you've said your your father left out some particularly personal things but i wonder what what decisions you must have had to make some difficult decisions yeah i did so i was very much tightly focused in on our theme so I was looking for material that related to food or relationships or community life, really, hospitality. So I left out anything that wasn't tightly within those guardrails. Um, and I also left out things that I thought... I wasn't trying to portray her as a saint, but unresolved or the kind of darker, more anguished reflections, because she was a really emotional and deeply feeling person and like everyone she just had her ups and downs and Mm. some of those are in the book and some of them felt Mm. like they would be wrong and if she was here she would never have signed off on them going out yes so and you knew her so well perhaps it wasn't too difficult to make that decision I I don't know yeah and I had talked with her a lot about this book Mm. you know and Mm. so I knew the kinds of things she wanted to be saying and the things Mm. that she had carefully thought about and ran past other people and you kind of chimed and were needing to be said Mm. um I didn't want to be self-indulgent because I I was enchanted by what I was reading and it was like being in her company but we didn't want it to be a book just for people who knew and loved Mm. her it had to be more widely interesting and I couldn't trust myself on that at all so I was really glad to have a very very honest um, and kind editor 
who didn't know her. Yes, which would have made it easier. Yes, yes yeah. And what about, I understand you're one of four siblings, and yeah. I wonder, did they have input or, or not? Did they read the manuscript? Yes, absolutely. So I'm the eldest of four. We are extremely tight, and more so since losing mum. And uh, they had complete veto rights over it. The process was that first I transcribed everything I thought I, that might be useful from mum's material and then I they read all of that and took out things said what they were happy with or things they wanted disguising or that kind of thing Mm. so we went through that as a family before it even went to an editor or anyone else so and was that a cathartic process do you think as in 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 coming to terms with her loss um yes and no I I found out some it was like getting to know a different part of her I, there were things that I, there were there were, there were arguments I needed to have with her because of reading it, and that I sort of tried to have, um, in in as much as I could do. So in some ways, I felt like, um, our even I know it's going to sound strange, but I felt like our relationship evolved a bit through that. Mm. Um, but it was. I can't really explain how painful it was. Mm-hmm. I had to do it in quite short bursts because my body would would just become very painful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the structure of the book. Um, can you talk us through, you've got um, a number of different themes, and you've got six sections. I wonder if you could just tell us a bit about how that how that works. Yeah, so I, I, I wanted to give it a clear progression and structure, and it's um, based around the course of a meal. So it starts, the six sections, it starts with hunger, because all good meals um, require you to be very hungry. <laughs> and then preparation, and then welcome, the table, so the meal itself, the clean-up, which was my brother's idea, actually. He said, you're missing um, one of the main parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then the last bit is called the forever feast, and that's looking at um, why so much of the metaphor and imagery around heaven is related to meals and feasting and food and banquets. Um, So I've taken each theme at face value, but also looked at it as a kind of way of exploring more abstract ideas. So hunger for food, but also hunger um, in terms of craving company and loneliness and those, yeah. And it's sort of interleaved, isn't it? You've got very obviously, and I thought it's very clever the way it's done, you've, the um, publishers use different fonts so that it's very clear. I have to say, I think it was very clear anyway. Your voices are very distinctive. Oh, but you Yeah, I, but you've got um, you've got the sections that she's written and then there are bits that are you and then there are, you know, some, some stories as well. So I think that works. It's quite an interesting layers of, of the voices coming through. Yeah, so there's quite a number of different kinds of writing. Um, so we've got the kind of, your standard non non-fiction Christian thoughts about the subject. And then in between each chapter there's journal entries, um, which they don't they're not designed to knit to that chapter, they just follow chronologically. Um, because I actually thought that was some of my mum's best writing. Mm. And I love the show don't tell kind of concept. So I think her life was a really beautiful illustration of how some of the more teachery bits play out um, and then um, I've 
retold some Bible stories of meals from the point of view of an imagined Mm. participant. I didn't have the privilege of meeting your mother, but I loved the sense of getting to know her. I thought her personality came, you know, something about it really, really core came off the page um, to me as a reader. And that was just lovely to spend time in her company. And you were telling me earlier about the audio book. Tell me how that's going to work. Yeah, so um, the audio book, my mum's words are going to be voiced by her sister, who sounds very like her. Um, So I'm so grateful um, to Anita for doing that. And that, I imagine, will be emotional for her as well, reading those words. Yeah, it will will be costly. And I can say that very um, confidently because I did my part last week. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yes. And are are you pleased with how that's gone? Because that's quite a big thing, isn't it, doing the audiobook? I had this amazing producer sitting in um, just outside the booth and coaching me. um, And she was so direct and clear in her instructions, but also so with me in the experience and so kind and compassionate. In fact, we stopped the recording three times during the day for her and me to cry together. Right. Yeah. yeah. So she was a huge support by <laughs> she the was a, Yeah, yes. we became yeah. firm friends. Yes, oh, that's <laughs> lovely to hear. Um, I was thinking about the themes in your book, and you're obviously an established writer, and there are some echoes in some of the themes, I think, with your book, Home, which you wrote in 2017 and was partly inspired by your very nomadic upbringing. I just wondered how, if the loss of your mother has sort of changed your perspective on home and homesickness, I just, I wonder, I imagine that would be a very different book, perhaps, if you were writing it now. I wondered if you might reflect on that for us. That's such an interesting question. And you'll get some very raw answers because I haven't thought about it before. But I think grief at times has felt like homesickness. And there's something, well, as we were talking earlier, I know that you'll understand this, um, quite exposed about not having a mum. You you don't have um, the covering and the, there's a tenderness to a mother um, that no one else really can, can have for you. And I know that as a mother myself. Um that their concerns are so close to mine um and that she created my first home and she's she set the pattern for the kinds of homes I have tried to recreate I I don't feel homeless because she's not here because I I learned a lot about making home through her and all the moves so but I do have this homesick feeling that hits me here and there Mm. I remember it from boarding school actually it's a similar kind of yearning and sometimes I can really just feel almost like the feeling of her she used to wear the most soft jumpers and I used to just curl up into her on the sofa and sometimes I imagine doing that at moments when I need that kind of Mm. care and I'm so blessed in having um, amazing older women in my life who who have really stepped up their care of me since. So I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. And we all lose our mums, don't we? Unless we die first in them. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. And I wonder who, that leads me on to wonder, who do you think this book is for? Who do you, Who do you hope the readers will be? Well... 
<clears throat> I think hospitality is having a moment. Um, I think that because even before the pandemic and the isolation of that, um, this direction we've gone in of extreme individualism and fragmentation and um, hypermobility, it's not working for us. I don't think we were meant to live um, like little units. I think we we need to be sharing life in a far deeper, um, more involved way. Um, I think the pandemic has made us a bit scared to do that, maybe, or um, unsure how to go about, but how to go about it. But I do feel a bit of a sense that we want to, en masse, um, start being in and out of each other's homes and lives a bit more. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? I was really struck by um, the Jubilee celebrations this summer. Mm. And certainly in our village, we have it's uh, two villages joined by a bridge that crosses the Thames. And um, the entire bridge was closed. And we had three and a half thousand people sat down to lunch at 500 tables. Um, And there were whole lots of different events over the Jubilee, as probably were in your community. And I sensed a real relief um, after those years of pandemic, people really just loving coming together. And it seemed the most serendipitous timing that that Jubilee celebration should come just when we're sort of, I know it's not quite over yet. And I know there are people who are vulnerable, but for most of us, you know, the worst of the pandemic is over. And there was a great sense, certainly in my community, of people just loving being together again. I don't know if you if you have had the same experience this year. Yeah, I would definitely agree. The other thing I think um, we're going to need to think very carefully about now is food, yeah. um, where it comes from, how how it's produced, um, whether, what we can afford. I mean, we're in this terrifying time of, of people actually wondering if they're going to choose have to choose between heating and eating. So um, I think food and, and the environment are also going to be front and centre. So in terms of, I mean, that's quite a wide package of um, people I'm hoping will be able to relate to the book. Um, I was writing it thinking this is going to be a better way into themes of, of conservation and, and the environment um, than coming straight on at it because... Um, we all eat and most of us socialise. Mm, so, mm. yeah. It's really difficult though, isn't it? The tension, I think people are more and more aware of the importance of the sustainable food movement. And yet when you've got austerity on the other hand, really hard, isn't it? I know. And the cheapest food is the oh. most highly produced and unhealthy. Yes, is... and processed and full of all sorts of awful yeah, it's things. It's a real justice issue. Yeah, really yes. Is. And that's quite frightening because I think there's a danger that those of us who are lucky enough to make some good choices about our food, we can feel we're, we're being a bit preachy about it. But but equally, we've got to do it, haven't we? Yeah, and I, th- I think um, there, there is a way to eat really well and quite frugally and quite um, kindly to the planet. Um, but we need to, it's a learning curve. It's a learning curve for me. Um, and I grew up in an, mm-hmm. you know, in an environmental organisation. Yeah. But I think we're going to be forced to do it. So in some ways, it's a massive opportunity and quite exciting. Yes, and I think with hospitality, if we let ourselves believe that it has to be a three-course um, dinner that costs what you'd usually spend on your whole week's food, that's going to stop us doing it, and that would be a real shame. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So tell me something about um, hospitality in your life at the moment. We were talking earlier about 
the curious existence of, of living in a vicarage as you do and I do. I wonder, in a typical week or month or whatever, how do you exercise your hospitality? Yeah, we, as a family, we have quite a high value on, on hospitality. And my girls are 15 and 12, and they're already really into cooking. Um, and they're very used to people showing up. But we try and decide as a family and um, give them a say. So as it happens this month, um, we've, we're quite a full house because a friend of ours who actually grew up coming through our youth group has moved to the local area and not found accommodation yet. So um, on the Friday, she said, help, help, and moved in on Sunday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we've got someone else moving in on this coming week for a while and we've got friends coming to stay over the weekend and we'll be hosting several meals this week as well wonderful lucky those people I can tell they'll have a lovely time with you and I was just thinking this is you've written several other books um, and you'll be very familiar with this thing as a writer where there's the process of writing it and that's very sort of head down and quite in a sort of introverted process and then suddenly months later you have this incredible sense of taking all your clothes off in public it's very exposing isn't it it is <laughs> and I wonder I mean it's very early days this is only just out isn't it but I'm wondering how how it feels putting this out now into the big wide world to be read by who knows who what they're going to say how does that feel yeah it's scarier than any of the ones I've done before because I think if anyone said anything bad about my mum's writing I I don't know if I could deal with it <laughs> so I feel much I have gone through this now a few times, so I think I feel on my own behalf. Yeah, you know, no one's, not everyone's going to love it. Um, I have found though, but given that I write so personally, people are usually um, less horrible about someone's personal personal disclosures. Um, so, but yeah, no, it is. It's a. It is quite an uncomfortable moment in the process, and it's the time when I think what on earth was I think like when I when I'm in the process of writing I sometimes forget anyone's going to read it right that's interesting yeah. so you're writing for yourself at yeah. that point and then someone will come up with the personal detail that they know about me and I'll think how did you know that? <laughs> and, <laughs> and they'll be like was, what was I thinking yes. what was yeah. I thinking that's really private yeah yes. so yes but at the same time um you write I write because I it, it's something I want to say and not just to myself so mm. it's also really exciting mm seeing it out and about and um, it can lead to the most deep and profound encounters with people and um, hearing hearing about other people's stories in return is such a gift I absolutely mm. love that part of it mm. and of course that's a huge part it comes across very clearly in the book that a huge part of hospitality is actually about its conversation isn't it it's just it's just sharing our sharing our stories together is a huge part of what you enable through inviting people into your home, um, it seems to me. Well, yeah. I mean, I am quite nosy, so I just like <laughs> mining out people. Yeah, you're speaking to a journalist. We're, we're <laughs> yeah. trained to be nosy. Isn't now, it funny <laughs> how you ask someone something and they'll just give you the, the answer? It's not. It sometimes doesn't occur to people that they don't have to. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Yes. Um, but no, and people are endlessly interesting, aren't they? They really are. Oh my gosh, yeah. so much yeah. so. Now, I know you have a full-time job with Arosha, the um, organisation that your parents founded, which is rather wonderful. Do you also have other writing projects ongoing? Is there, is there another book in the pipeline? 
Yes, there is actually. So my the one before this was um, called The Whole Christmas Story and it was a Christmas devotional. Um, and next year I'll be doing The Whole Easter Story. Wonderful. So have you started writing it or...? No, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I owe the publisher an outline um, of chapters and sections and things, I think, in January. Right. Wonderful. I I always think after after I deliver every manuscript, I'm like, that's it. Never again. It's like that when you give birth and you say, I'll never, ever have another baby. And somehow I keep doing it, and I don't really don't know why. No, it's really hard work, isn't it? It really is hard work. Yes. Um, Well, congratulations on the book, Joe. I hope it goes really well. I hope people enjoy it and engage with it, and you get lots of lovely feedback. I think it's a delightful and and heartwarming. I don't mean that in a in a trivial way. Really heartwarming read. Um, So thank you for sharing it with us, and thank you for talking to us today. It's been lovely to talk to you. Oh, and to you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.